I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verse 41. If you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 943 in your Bible. Let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we have, um, we have gathered to worship you. We've come um, to sing your praises, uh, to pray together, to encourage one another in the faith by your attendance, through the use of spiritual gifts, through our conversation. Um, we've come to hear from your word. We've listened to scripture readings, and we come now to attend to your word, attend to the preached word here in Luke chapter 2. Um, have your own way, Lord. Have your own way. Uh, You are the potter and we are the clay. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's look at this passage. Um, Let's begin. Let's read it first. Um, Let's begin in verse 39. This is in Luke chapter, just to give you context, Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 1 and 2 is the the birth narrative of of Christ, you know, with uh, the angel appearing to Mary and uh, then... Um, they went to Nazareth. Jesus was born. You know, we just went through the whole Christmas thing, the shepherds and so forth. And this is at verse 39 is when he is eight days old and they're in the temple. Uh, it's just at, at that uh, Luke is kind of summarizing everything that's happened then. Verse 39, when they had completed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. The boy, Jesus, grew up and became strong, filled with wisdom, and God's grace was on him. And now, verses 41 to 52 is where we're going to focus on for the message, and let's read that. Every year his parents, that is Mary and Joseph, traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom of the festival. After those days were over, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming he was in the traveling party, they went a day's journey. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple complex, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all those who heard him were astounded at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked them. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with people. So this account here of Jesus when he was 12 years old might be somewhat unremarkable if the 12-year-old involved was not Jesus. A story about parents leaving church and realizing they left one of their kids behind and having to go back and get him might not be noteworthy, well, possibly on Facebook, right after what you posted for breakfast and before what you posted for lunch what you had for lunch. You know, you might post that. Oh, I left my kid at church, went back and got him. Uh, might not be noticeable, not- notable, except 
that it was Jesus. What makes this account significant is that Jesus here is the 12-year-old. And further, it's the only story we have about Jesus between the age of roughly 2 and the age of 30. Um, In Luke chapter 2, when the the Magi come to visit Jesus, he was probably about one and a half, two years old. And and then uh, he makes his public appearance and is baptized by John when he is 30 years old. But what happened in between being 2 and 30? This is the only account we have of any time in that period. Jesus, when he was here, Jesus is 12 years old. This passage is also significant and worthy of our attention because it contains the first recorded words of our Savior. Um, And further, it's his initial testimony about himself. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? I want to look at this account today from three different angles. Um, What do we learn about Jesus in terms of his human nature? What do we learn about Jesus in terms of his redemptive work? And then let's also learn from his example. So, first of all, the human nature of Jesus. The human nature of Jesus. Here I want to take a few minutes for us to marvel at who Jesus is. Many of you, no doubt, are familiar with the term incarnation. Incarnation. The incarnation is that doctrine of Scripture where Scripture teaches that the eternal Son of God became a human being. The second person of the Trinity became fully human. Um, he, Jesus has become human through and through. Human body, human soul, human mind, human will, human emotions. All of it he assumed except for the sin, except for the sinful nature. And we, we often hear the phrase, to err is human. And that's not technically correct. Sin and error is not an essential part of humanity. It's something that we have because we have fallen into sin, but it was not the way God created us. So when Jesus assumed all that we have without the sin, that's not saying he was deficient in terms of his humanity. He is, in fact, what perfect humanity was and eventually will be again. So what's remarkable then about the incarnation is that when the Son of God became a human being, he didn't cease to be God. When he became human, he didn't cease to be divine. Jesus, the Son of God, has always been divine, and then he became human. When he became human, he also remained divine. So Jesus is fully God, and he is fully human. And adding to the wonder of the incarnation is that when Jesus became a man, He didn't start at the man stage. He didn't start at the adult stage. But he went the route that all of us go, beginning with conception, then birth, to toddler, to child, eventually to adult. The limitless Son of God took on the limitations of embryo and fetus and baby, etc. And so we see in the passage before us the incarnate Son of God at a particular stage of growth that most of us have already gone through, the age of 12. So what do we see about the Son of God in this passage as a human being? Well, we see that he was subject to his earthly parents. He was subject to his earthly parents. He went with them to the Passover festival. And we see that his parents had enough trust in him as an obedient, as a submissive son, that when they were leaving, they were trusting that he was a part of the traveling party. We see also that he followed the norms of his heritage as a Jewish boy. 
he went to Jerusalem for the Passover, according to verse verse 42, according to the custom. He was subject to the customs and traditions of his particular country. We see him also in the role of a pupil, the role of a student sitting among the teachers in the temple area in order to learn. He was interacting with them in a Q&A sort of format, which was typical of uh, Jewish teaching back then. But here we see him as a student having lots of questions. We're so used to Jesus. We're so used to Jesus as the master teacher. But here at age 12, he is the student having lots of questions and interacting with the teachers in a back and forth teaching environment. He was the ideal student. So we see that Jesus, before he was the teacher, he was the he was the student. We see him again in verse 51, living at home with his parents, living in obedience to them. And we see in verse 52 that he is progressing and growing up. He's growing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with people. In other words, he's growing intellectually. He's growing spiritually. He's growing physically. He's growing in reputation. He's adding to his wisdom and knowledge as well as to his strength and physical development, as well as to his worship and his relationships. This is Jesus in his human nature. And just as a reminder, let's look at some verses about Jesus in his divine nature. Hebrews 1, he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things hold together. This who we've just been reading about in these verses is also the one who is the child at home, who is the citizen of a particular nation with its customs, who is the student at the temple, who is learning and growing as one of us in our world. This conjunction of his two natures, of the divine nature and the human nature, reminds me of Philippians chapter 2, where it talks about Christ existing in both natures. Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men, fully God and fully man. Jesus existing in the form of God and in the form of man, one person in two natures. The council at Chalcedon in 451 A.D. hammered out the teaching of Scripture in this particular statement. Therefore, following the Holy Fathers, we all with one accord teach men to acknowledge one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, at once, in other words, at the same time, Complete in Godhead and complete in manhood, truly God and truly man, recognized in two natures, and those two natures are without confusion, without change, without division, without separation, one and the same and only begotten God, the Word, Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus was and is fully God and fully man. Jesus was and is fully God and fully man. Excuse me just a minute. I'm going to get some water. Now, I want you to note from this passage just how human Jesus was. Look at verses 49 and 50 again. Jesus says to his parents, Why were you searching for me? He asked them. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? Referring to God as his father. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Verse 50 They did not understand what he said to them. 
They didn't understand what he said to them. They had Mary and Joseph had no idea what he was talking about. When he started calling God my father in a personal sense that Jews didn't do back then, and when he questioned them about their not knowing that he had to be in his father's house, and they're thinking, what are you talking about? We're not home yet. That's the problem. You didn't come home with us. He's talking about his heavenly father. They didn't know what he was talking about. Why? Because he was so much like any other boy. Because he was so human. He was so much like any other boy, so much like any Jewish child. And you say, well, what about Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2? What about, what about the angel's announcement? Don't they remember that? What about the virgin birth? What about the shepherds and the magi? What about Simon's prophecy and what Anna said about Jesus at the temple? And the answer is they didn't, hadn't forgotten about that, but he was so human. And he had been for, for 12 years. He was pretty much like every other baby like every other toddler, like every other little boy. Not that they forgot that he was special in amazing ways and that that had been prophesied, but how that was all going to get worked out, how that was worked out in Christ, they didn't yet know. One writer says, The daily contact with the human Jesus had had the effect of making them almost forget the divine statements about him, that he, in addition to being a true human being, was the Son of God, they could not perceive in his daily life. It had to be a matter of faith for them, as it must be for us today. This is the wonder of the incarnation of Christ, the wonder of the humanity of Christ. Make no mistake that Jesus was fully human. He was fully human. There were some who taught in early church history that Jesus only appeared to be human, but he didn't actually take on humanity, that there was something special about him, and that he didn't actually contaminate himself by taking on human flesh. No, he went all the way. He took on human flesh, human soul, human will, human mind, human emotions. He went all the way with that. Well, why did Jesus become a man? Why did he take on a human nature, becoming both truly God and truly man? First Timothy 1.15 gives us an answer. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came in the, into the world to save sinners. The Son of Man became human in order to redeem us. Hebrews chapter 2. Therefore, he had to be made. He had to be made like his brothers. In other words, he had to be human in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He had to be made like us in order to redeem us. He had to be made like us in order to redeem us. So now let's look at our passage from the angle of the redemptive work of Christ. Let's look at it from the redemptive work of Christ. And you might say, redemptive work, I don't see any work of salvation being wrought here in Luke chapter 2 when Jesus is 12 years old at the temple. You know, I thought that happened, I thought that happened at the cross. And certainly the cross was the climax of his redemption. It's where Jesus announced it is finished, where he completed his redemptive work. But his redemptive work included his entire life, the life that he lived beforehand. He lived a life of perfect obedience to God the Father. His own testimony in John chapter 6 as to why he came. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus lived the life of sinlessness and complete obedience that we should have lived 
so that he could die in our place for our sins on the cross. Do you remember in the Old Testament when they would sacrifice lambs? They would sacrifice lambs for uh, sin offerings and so forth. What kind of lambs did those have to be? Perfect. I heard the word perfect. Right. They had to be without defect. They had to be without blemish. They had to be perfect. Those sacrifices pointed to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins. But just like those lambs had to be without defect and unblemished, in order for his sacrifice to be acceptable to God for our sins, he also had to be without defect and without blemish. That is sinless, without sin. And he was. First Peter 1, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb, what? Without blemish or defect. This refers to his perfection as a human being, living the life we should have lived. Remember his testing in the desert when after, after his baptism he goes into the wilderness and Satan comes and tests him, the temptations he faced. He never yielded to those temptations. Whenever he was tempted, all throughout his life, whenever he was tempted, he always chose the route of obedience to the Father, citing and following the scriptures. He never chose the route of sin. And all that temptation and resisting was for our redemption. So, yes, the work of redemption happened on the cross, but the work of preparation for that redemption was all throughout his life. He had to prove himself to be our perfect sacrifice for sins. And we see that here in Luke 2 in his 12-year-old self. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house, he said. His first recorded words recognize his calling and his vocation to be about his father's business. With all of his being, he yearns to serve and obey his heavenly father. And he knows that part of his father's will for him at age 12 is eventually to go home with his earthly parents, to whom he's been entrusted, and to submit to their authority. So, yes, he had to be at his father's house at that time. But in order to do his father's will, he also had to be at home with Mary and Joseph in their house until the age when he could be on his own. Even in his submission to his earthly parents as a child, Jesus was living the life we should have lived perfectly. And he did it perfectly. In his submission to his earthly parents, he was learning and practicing the obedience that made him the unblemished sacrifice for our sins. If he had failed at any point, if he had sinned at any point, there would be no perfect sacrifice. There would be no propitiation for our sins. There would be no atonement for the sins of the world at the cross. There would be no redemption. Talk about pressure. Not one, not one sin. But because he was the perfect son, we too can become sons of God. If he hadn't been the perfect son, we would not have become the sons of God. So the human nature of Christ, the redemptive work of Christ, and now let's look at the example of Jesus. The example of Jesus. Jesus lived the life we should have lived. He lived a sinless human life. He lived it perfectly. His life was a consistently God-honoring human life. And to be sure, he was fully human, but he lived it perfectly without sin. Think about the two greatest commandments, which is starts with the word what? Love. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. That's a complete love. Did Christ ever fail to, com- to obey that command, to fulfill that command? He did not. Think about the second greatest commandment, which it starts with the word what? Love. Love your neighbor as yourself. Did Christ ever fail to live out that command? He never did. And that's why, and he did it as a human being, and that's why he is also our example. That's why he's our example. And the Bible is clear that we should follow his example. For instance, these two verses. First John 2, 6. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. The one who says he remains in Jesus should walk just as Jesus walked. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says to follow my example when he does this, when Paul does this, when he follows the example of Christ. The ultimate example is Christ. So let's consider what we might learn from Jesus' example in our passage today. There are a number of things we could point out, but I want to focus in on just two lessons. And there's application here for everyone in this room, I believe. Uh, But because Jesus was 12 years old at this point, if you're young, if you're still living under the roof of your parents, if you're a teenager or younger than a teenager, I think these have special application for you as well. We're going to apply it to both groups, to those who are still at home with their parents and to everyone else. And I lost my spot. I'll get there. Yeah. There it is. Okay, so the first lesson has to do with Jesus' thirst for the knowledge of God. He stayed behind in Jerusalem to be in the temple with the teachers in order to learn more. There may have been hardly there might have been hardly any good teachers in Nazareth. It was a small village. And so when he gets to Jerusalem, there might be the cream of the crop. And so he takes advantage of that and sits with the, the scholars there. Um, already in life, at the age of 12, he values the pursuit of understanding God, of knowing more and more about him. His pursuit of knowing God, his father, and of seeking understanding pictures how we should do the same, even at a young age. This is something we should embrace. Each one of us should continually pursue the knowledge of God. Each one of us should continually pursue the knowledge of God. According to verse 52, Jesus increased in wisdom. This was an intentional pursuit on his part. He didn't naturally, he didn't just fall into it. It was something he pursued. Um, Andrea mentioned her father passing away in in December. And uh, at his funeral, uh, Andrea's brother talked a little bit about their father. And one of the things he said about Paul stuck with me uh, that, that Paul devoted himself every day to knowing God more. Paul Runyon devoted himself every day to knowing God more. What a great description of what we are all supposed to do. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing in this passage. So pursue the knowledge of God. That's what, I'm, that's what the word is telling you to do. Pursue understanding the nature of God more and more. Pursue understanding the ways of God more and more. Pursue understanding the will of God more and more. This was Jesus at age 12. And if you're around that age or a little bit older, you are not too young to be reading and studying the Bible. You are not too young to be praying on your own to God, your Heavenly Father. You are not too young to be talking to Christ. You are not to be young to be paying close attention to sermons on Sunday morning. You should pay close attention to your youth director, to Peter, as he teaches on Wednesday nights, and follow along in your Bible, and pay close attention to your Sunday school teachers, to Jackie and to 
Andy. In your own reading of the Bible, if you have questions, ask those questions to your mom and dad or your friends or ask Pastor Ryan or ask me. You who are teenagers or younger than that, you are capable of reading and studying the Bible. I firmly believe that. Jesus is your example here. You are capable of learning more and more about God and about Jesus. You are capable of good thinking and of increasing in wisdom and understanding. I'm seeing Austin Tarr back there, and he's a little bit older than that. But, man, I had a great time with him around Christmas time when he, he came and he was asking me different questions about the Bible and telling me different things that he's been studying. Um, that's great. That's great. And again... I lost my spot in my notes. I I need to stop looking up. Okay. Um, You're capable, as young people, you are capable of learning more and more about God and about Jesus. You're capable of good thinking and increasing in wisdom and understanding. Do you know that people your age, young people, can pick up a foreign language much quicker than those who are of my age or even older? (laughs) Some adults joke about how quickly young people can pick up technology, and some people my age don't pick it up so quick. You have good brains. Use them to grow your knowledge about God. But for the rest of us, Jesus is also our example in this area. Continue to add to your knowledge and understanding about God and his word. What did Jesus do? He studied the scriptures, and he sat under good teaching. He interacted with good teachers. Um. Pursuing the knowledge of God and his word is not just something for pastors to do. It's not just something that Pastor Ryan and I do because we're paid to do it, because <laughs> we're professional Christians. This is something that every believer should do. I'll tell you honestly, if, if I ever cease to be a pastor, if I would ever make a move into another field that would not be in ministry, I would not stop studying the scriptures. I would not stop sitting under good Christian teaching. I would not stop sitting under the ministry of the word on Sunday mornings or attending Bible studies or seeking to know more about God. The second lesson has to do with Jesus' obedience to Joseph and Mary. Jesus had to be in his father's house at that time, but he wasn't there forever. Eventually he went back to Nazareth and was in his earthly parents' house, for that was God's will for him. Verse 51 says that he was, quote, obedient to them. So he obeys and fulfills the fifth commandment, to honor his father and mother. So this is the second lesson. Each one of us should honor his or her father and mother. Each one of us should honor his or her father and mother. I like the way one writer describes what it might have been like for a teenage Jesus. The obedience may not have been easy for the obedience to his parents may not have been easy for him when he had a strong preference already to be in his father's house, nor might it have been easy to spend years under his parents' authority when they were fallible, intellectually inferior to him, and would sometimes choose things for him that he would not have chosen. And some of you are thinking back to your home life and thinking, yeah, that's exactly the way my parents are. <laughs> They're fallible, inferior to my understanding. And <laughs> But in all this, we see the shaping of the man who preferred the father's will above his own. Why did Jesus obey his parents? He obeyed them for the same reason he did everything to do the will of God. He submitted to his parents because he was submitted first and foremost to God, his heavenly father. Those of you who are still at home, uh, that is at your parents' home, 
I assume all of you are at home at some point. Those of you who are still at home, you know, those of you who are young teenagers, younger, whatever, Jesus has set this example for you to obey your parents, not to resist them, but to obey them. So here's a question. What if you know better than your parents? On a particular matter, what if you know better than your parents? First of all, there may be times when you actually do know better than your parents. What should you do? If they leave room for discussion, discuss it in a respectful manner and talk about it without yelling at them. If they still think you're wrong and they think that their way is better, then, following the example of Jesus, submit to their wishes. If they leave no room for discussion, submit to their wishes. And submit with respect, even though you would rather do it differently. Because at this point, doing what they ask of you is what pleases the Lord, even though your choice may have truly been the better choice. But, second, there are also times that you think you know better, but you really don't. Your parents have more life experience and more experience in walking with the Lord, so that sometimes they can see angles, consequences, results that you can, that you can't see. And so in those situations, submit. The bottom line is in every situation, obey your parents. That is what pleases God. Colossians 3.20. There it is. Children, obey your parents in every situation. Why? For this pleases the Lord. It pleases the Lord. This is the will of the Lord for your life at this age. It's the will of the Lord for your life at this age. Obey your parents out of your love for God and your desire to please him. Obey your parents knowing that the Lord smiles every time you do when you do it from the heart. Obey your parents knowing that God will honor and bless you if you do so. But again, this is for all of us. The fifth commandment is for all of us. It's not just for kids. Honor your father and mother. This calls for respect. It calls for patience where needed. It calls for love. It calls for mercy where needed. It calls for sympathy where needed. It certainly calls for kindness and helpfulness. And to be sure, some parents make it hard to honor them. (laughs) That doesn't negate our responsibility to act in a Christ-pleasing manner toward them. So let me just uh, sum up here. We've looked at this unique account of a young Jesus from the standpoint of his incarnation from the standpoint of human nature, from his redemptive work, and from his example. I hope, I hope that this passage about 12-year-old Jesus, as we've studied his human nature, that this has, this has produced some awe in you of who Christ is and what he has done for us. I hope it produces gratitude in you for his redemptive work. His suffering on the cross was tremendous, but let's not forget also the preparation, the 30-some years of preparation that led up to that cross by which he proved himself to be the spotless Lamb of God. And I hope also that this passage inspires you to imitate his example, seeking to grow in in your understanding of God, as well as to continually honor your parents. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you for this window into the life of pre-adult Jesus. Um, And the things that we learn... Uh, and the, and the, the things we, that we learn as a result of this particular account. I do ask, Lord, with regards to those last couple lessons, that everyone in this room would seriously undertake, would seriously continue to undertake growing in, in their understanding of, of who you are, growing in their understanding of your will, and growing in, your, in their understanding of your word. 
and that you would help each one of us, if our parents are still alive, that we would honor our parents as desired by you. I pray for your blessing upon each one in this room. Father, you know the needs that are represented here. Everyone has different needs. And right now they might have different needs than what they had yesterday. But you know all the needs that are represented. And I pray, Lord, that you would meet their needs according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus. That's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.